when you think of that text in Lamentations that promises us his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. If you ever thought about it, but the Lord, he, he never wakes up and decides, you know what, I'm, I'm just, I just don't feel like giving out any mercies today. I'm tired of it, or I'm apathetic today. The Lord, the Lord never changes. You may wake up differently every day, but, but the Lord, he never sleeps, he never slumbers, he never changes. He's always merciful, always long-suffering, always patient, always forgiving, always gracious, always loving us. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to comprehend the great God we have. Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you so much. We, as we really take time to contemplate who you are at all, it's quite, it's quite amazing. It's, it's quite breathtaking, really. So thank you, Father. Thank you that you never change. And all that you are, all the promises you've given, never change. No matter what minute, hour, or second of the day, you're always the same. Your mercies are available to us always. So we thank you. We ask you now that you would continue to direct this gathering and wherever God's people are gathered in under the sound of this teaching and your word. I pray, Father, you'd open up our hearts and minds to receive and respond to what you have for us today. Um, you are truly worthy of all of our worship and praise, and it is necessary for us to obey your word. It is best for us. It is, is most healthy for us. So I pray, Lord, that we would take it in today and your spirit would work in our hearts and lives and change us to be more and more like Jesus, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So I can't remember whether it was the first or second year that I arrived here, but one Sunday as I was standing at the back greeting people, a man who I didn't know well yet told me to be ready, I forget whether it's Monday night or whatever, ready after work, and um, he was going to come by my house, pick me up, and he said, make sure Lynn's ready as well, and uh, he was not willing to tell me why he was going to pick, pick us up or what we were going to do, but he just said, trust me, it will be worth your while. So, by faith... I went home after work that day and uh, got ready and Lynn got ready uh, to go out and sure enough he arrived exactly at the time that he said he was going to arrive um, and it, his name was Chuck Powers and uh, so Chuck uh, invited us to come outside, we came outside and he had I think one of, like his, his 1950s something Cadillac. Phil, I, I'm not sure if that's the right date. It's 1953. 1953 Caddy, which was spectacular. And I thought, this is great. Well, see, we're going for a ride in, in his, uh, his uh, car. So um, we got in the car and went for a drive, and he drove to Parkwood Gardens. Now, I, I was still new to the city, so I'd never been there. And uh, we drove in, there were a bunch of cars in there. Now, by this time, Lynn was getting fidgety in the car because she 
didn't feel like she was dressed well enough for whatever was going to happen. And she wasn't real happy with me not telling her many details. And uh, I was fine with how I was dressed. It didn't matter to me. But anyway, um, so we went in, we got out of the car and went into Parkwood Gardens. And there, there was a, a bunch of people who I didn't know. I looked around, there was nobody I knew, other than it looked like the Oshawa elite was there. And uh, we didn't fit. But other than that, it was, uh, it was quite uh, interesting. Until uh, suddenly, I set my eyes on someone that I did recognize. And his name is Mr. Robert Gordon Orr. Now, that's not helpful for you in here, but at home you can see this, it's magnified. Mr. Robert Gordon Orr, Bobby Orr, number four, the greatest hockey player to ever lace on a pair of skates. I know of Rocket Richard, I saw Gordie Howe, I've seen Wayne Gretzky, uh, but I'm, I'm telling you that this is the greatest hockey player. That I, now, not only, as it turned out, did I see him from a distance, but Mr. Powers had orchestrated a meet and greet for Lynn and I with, with Bobby Orr, my childhood hockey hero, and uh, a picture, a photo session, and autographs, and he definitely made the evening worth my while. You know, when you live by faith, good things often happen. And uh, in fact, that's what's required. There's so many things we do by faith. You came in, you sat down on those chairs today, and you just by faith believed that they were going to hold you up. I didn't see any of you crawling around in the carpet, checking underneath with a screwdriver to make sure. You just by faith sat down, and those chairs held you up. We do a lot of things by faith. But in, this, in 2 Peter, we discovered... In the first chapter, now we've completed first and second Peter, you say, what are we doing going back here? If you remember, we, we looked in chapter one and we discovered something, a, a section of scripture there that was so rich, uh, so um, um, extensive that we just couldn't handle it in one session. So we decided to come back in the fall and spread it out. But in this particular first chapter, uh, faith is mentioned. It talks about our faith, it talks about our faith, and, uh, and it talks about adding to your faith a, a number of things. For the next eight weeks, we want to take a very vital journey as a congregation into what it means to be an effective, productive follower of Jesus Christ. One by one, we're going to look at these characteristics these were, were what the text calls as these qualities, and we're going to make them this, we're going to specialize in them each week, one of them, and, and, uh, and see our lives grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, experience Christ in a whole new way. I mean, there are some questions that are needing to be answered, but the first imperative in ever making a journey in Christianity is to have faith in Christ Jesus. And so the the work we're going to do today is to make sure that we take care of this first imperative and understand what it is. What does Peter mean by adding to your faith? What does he mean by this faith? And, um, and we'll begin this journey together. Now, I want to read the, a couple of verses so we orientate ourselves to the text. 
I'm going to read the first two verses, then we're going to look at verses 5 to 8. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith. Okay, we want to, we want to unpack that today. What is this a faith that he's referring to here? As precious as ours. Because we want to make certain we have this faith. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For this very reason, make every effort, I'm at verse 5 now, every effort, look at, to add to your faith. We're never asked to add to our salvation. You get salvation, you either have it or you don't. But we're invited here to enrich or to add to our faith. We're going to look at what that means. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. Why? Because if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. So we want to answer a few questions today. What is the difference between being a good person and being a Christian person? Um, Are you a person of saving faith or are you person just of a faith. Because we talk about that a lot. Oh, they're people of faith, or they're people of a faith community, or they have faith. Well, is it saving faith, the kind of faith that Peter's talking about here, or just a faith? Are you a person of biblical facts only, or of biblical faith? Because that's what Peter's challenging us here. He's challenging us here to go beyond the fact of faith to the experience of faith, to the enrichment of faith, to the fullness of of all the treasures that are found in God through Jesus Christ that are available to us if we are people of saving faith. So let's look at that a little bit. Just by way of a sort of a, a general introduction, truth about biblical faith as as Peter is placing it before us here, it's, first of all, a particular faith that we're talking about today. Not just a faith in anything, but a particular faith. When Peter says, a faith as precious as ours, he's referring to a specific content faith, faith content, all right? It's a faith that's received, by the way, we see here, it's just not any faith, it's a faith that's received through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not through self-righteousness, it's not by a, a decision to be a nice person or a decision to go to church or be part of some sort of faith community. It's received through the righteousness of Christ. In other words, the sinless life of Christ whereby he lived among us and died for us and rose again, that righteousness, that sinless life of Christ, 
is how we receive this faith. It's given to us. It's not something we earn ourselves. We receive it and welcome it. Um, it's not something that anyone naturally has. You're not born with this. You must receive it. It's received as a gift from God. But there's a content to it, and we're going to look more at that in a moment, but I just want to generally uh, describe it. In, in fact, um, in 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul writing to Timothy uh, said, in the last day, some shall depart from the faith. He's referring to this very faith that Peter's talking about here. And in Luke, uh, Jesus asked the question, you know, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? He was, he was in, in fact, talking about this kind of faith. Not just any faith. Will Jesus come back and find faith on the earth? No. Will Jesus come back and find the faith? This faith with core content to it, the body of truth that Christians are to believe. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing the message and the message comes from, this is interactive folks, the word of God. Faith comes, this faith is not natural, it's not just anything, it's a particular faith, it's received, and the content of it is found in God's word, okay? So, it's not only a particular faith though, it's a personal faith. You see what Peter says here in verse five? For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. You can't, this faith is not captured osmotically because you come to a church or because you're part of the right family. It must be your faith. It's a personal faith. Your faith, which according to Peter, is to be enriched, added to, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It, it, the enrichment is to particularly happen through an increasing knowledge and experiencing of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. Now make no mistake about it, Peter wants us to be certain that we understand that Jesus is God when he says in verse one, through the righteousness of our God, who is Jesus Christ, and our Savior, who is Jesus Christ. That's the infer, inferred reality of the grammar of the text here. And that's why he can say that, that, that this faith, as precious as ours, is going to be um, further enriched through the knowledge of God, uh, verse 2, and of Jesus our Lord, through the knowledge by knowing God increasingly. And in verse 8, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the intention, it is God's intention, that in fact, um, faith is to be received and to be increased. Uh, some people are, you know, they find themselves uh, understanding the nature of this faith, but there seems to be little evidence that there's anything happening in their life, there's any advancement, there's any moving forward. They know the details. Uh, the specifics, the biblical truth of salvation, but there's nothing moving forth. There's no progress being made. That's because we're, we're addressing this issue right here. They haven't been adding to their faith. Faith has not been being enriched. 
You can't be more saved, but you must have a more robust faith. Every Christian is called upon, is commanded. This is not something that's like, this would be a nice thing for you. You might want to go home and ponder it this afternoon and say, you know what, maybe I'll consider this. That's not what this is presented like. This is commanded of every believer to make every effort to add to your faith, to experience the glories of Christ. All that is available, it does not arrive passively. Christianity, the robust Christianity, effective Christianity, productive Christianity is not passively received. It is active. It requires action. As I shared with the first service, you know, you can look at a bicycle. You can know everything about a bicycle. You can, you can know that a bicycle can get you from point A to point B. But that bicycle is of no use to you unless you get on it and start pedaling. And then you move forward. And so it is, you can have a full understanding of the content of faith. But unless you actually have received faith from Christ and act on that faith, you are not experiencing the fullness of all the treasures of God that are found in Jesus Christ. That's his call to us. So, in summary, faith is the gift to believe in truth about God. And uh, one writer, uh, Dave Brees, in his book, Living uh, for Eternity, he defines faith this way. Faith is the ability to believe the invisible things of God. Now, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, there's a biblical definition of faith there that's laid out for us. And in his book, Living for Eternity, Dave Brees outlines some of the crucial body of truth that forms what, what is called by Peter here, a faith. What is this faith? What is the content of this faith that you have received that you, that you must believe in order to actually be a follower of Jesus Christ, actually be a Christian? And how important is it that you understand the facts of this faith, what it is, the knowledge to be expanded? Well, it says, of course, in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. For we must believe that he that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. So the first in this body of truth, this body of content that is necessary is that God is. You have to believe that God exists. We are theists, not atheists. Now that's not enough. There's more to it than that because Satan is a theist. I mean, the most illogical way to live in this universe is to be an atheist. Even the enemy of God believes in God. We are theists, not atheists. We believe in the unseen. God is spirit. We believe in the unseen, but not in the unknown. Romans 1.19. As, as uh, Paul writes there, God has made what can be known about himself evident his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature are clearly seen by what is made. This is not blind faith. This is faith in substance, the, the substance of what is not seen. 
Jesus is our God and our Savior. The second is this, that God is eternally existent in three persons. We are Trinitarian, not Unitarian. Muslims are Unitarian. Jews are Unitarian. Jehovah's Witnesses are Unitarian. Um, United Pentecostals are Unitarian. We are not Unitarian because the Bible's not Unitarian. The Bible is very Trinitarian. Uh, God eternally exists, one God eternally existent in three persons. Do we have Bible for that? We have lots of Bible for that. Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Holy Holy Spirit is God. Jesus said in John 14, 9, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. In Matthew 28, verse 19, we are baptized in the name, singular, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Very Trinitarian. In fact, what Matthew is stating there is that we are actually baptized in the name of the Trinity. We are Trinitarian, not Unitarian. Third, in terms of the essential content of the faith, the Christian faith, a faith as precious as ours, the faith that Peter had. The third is this, that God created the universe and all there is. We are creationists, not Darwinists. This is the essential core to the faith that is Christian. Uh, this can, I, I cannot emphasize this enough, particularly in our moment, the scientific confusion moment that uh, we presently are in, which is, which is based on the rejection of God as creator. Uh, Colossians 1, 16, 17 makes it abundantly clear that Jesus, that Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is the one who created the universe. Darwinism, evolutionism, in other words, is not included in any rendering of orthodox Christian faith. None whatsoever. And entertaining any origin model other than divine creation is destructive to every human discipline. Darwinism is destructive of the law, it's destructive of science, it's destructive of medicine, it's destructive of relationships, it's destructive of morality. Every human discipline you can name is damaged and deconstructed by Darwinism. That's the moment we find ourselves in. And beloved, it is going to get worse and more confusing the longer and the more entrenched Darwinism becomes in the culture. Darwinism has been around for a long time. But what's changed right now is the grip it has more significantly in its tentacles in every human discipline is because Humans have systematically in the West chased God out of existence. And, the, and the, before, Darwinism had a strong force against it because of the, the common belief in God, even among those who were not followers of Christ. But as we have become a more atheistic, uh, atheistic culture and are increasingly heading in that direction, the vacuum is being filled by Darwinism. 
And Darwinism is the reason you are scratching your head today saying this world doesn't make sense. It's critical. And what's even more disconcerting is the number of evangelicals who are claiming to embrace Darwinism. It's bad enough that people outside of Jesus, outside of the faith, don't buy into uh, uh, creationism, Cre- uh, Jesus as creator. It's unconscionable that people who would claim to have a faith as precious as Peter's or Paul's or us would reject Jesus Christ as creator, divine creator of all things. Fourth, that Jesus Christ is the son of God and only solution to the problem of sin that alienates people forever from God. We are salvationists, not universalists. All religions are not leading to salvation. The whole gamut of religions are not leading to uh, eternity with God. That's universalism. We are salvationists. John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father, the only God of heaven, but through me. That's an exclusive statement. In John 3, 18, Jesus himself said, he who believes in him, Jesus, is not judged But he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The variety of faiths in our world is not some sort of advertisement of a a generous, diverse God who enjoys variety. It is an advertisement of the abject, rebellious hearts of people who reject the only way of salvation that has been given to them, clearly made known through Jesus Christ. So let's, uh, let's package this up in completion with two major statements that de- define saving faith versus mere faith, which is the key to our salvation. It is by grace, which means a free gift of God, through faith, through our belief, that is also a gift of God, the gift to believe, not of works. Ephesians 2, 8, uh, John 1, 11, 12, uh, John 14 to 16. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. There are some who did not receive Jesus, but to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now either, uh, so saving faith is the gift to believe and receive salvation through the work and merit of Jesus Christ and him alone. It's an exclusive truth. It's an exclusive way to God. The problem of sin only has one solution and that solution is Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Either Jesus pays for your sins or you pay for them yourself. That's how this works. And the offer of salvation has been made through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus paid for the sentence, the capital punishment sentence and charges that were against us as our substitute. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It is the centerpiece of redemptive history, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And beloved, it's, it's, um, it's stunning what is happening. The re- reason I'm going over this very elementary truth with you today is frankly not because I don't think you know this, but I'm not taking for granted that you do. And the reason I'm not taking for granted that you do or anyone who's watching online who claims to be a Christian is because surveys are demonstrating that increasingly within evangelical circles, there are people who are claiming that the cross of Christ was not necessary for the forgiveness of sins. If God is who he claims to be and is all powerful and is all merciful and gracious, then God can simply choose to forgive us because he's God. Well, you can, you can, you know, uh, hypothesize all the potential ideas of how God could or would or should make salvation possible. Doesn't change the fact that God has made a way possible and it's an exclusive way and it's the only way. And so we, we have in surveys people sitting in churches that are claiming to be evangelical, writing on the survey that they believe that Jesus Christ is not the only way to eternal life with God. Now, how can anybody sit in an evangelical church and, and, and think that's true? Now, certainly there's no evangelical churches that are actually teaching that. And so I want to make sure it's abundantly clear uh, who Calvary Baptist Church is. Calvary Baptist Church follows an orthodox tradition of the same precious faith that Peter talks about, whereby Jesus Christ's death as our substitute for our sins on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection from the dead is the only way of salvation available to mankind. That's what we proclaim. That's what's been proclaimed here for 91 years. So if you do a survey and you decide to state that you think there are many ways to God and Jesus is just one of many ways, please do not say you learned that at Calvary Baptist Church because it would be a complete lie. In 91 years, that's never been taught. And until Jesus comes, my prayer is that no one will ever stand in this pulpit and teach anything other than Jesus Christ alone for salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Because that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus himself, when he was teaching Nicodemus in John chapter 3, said, don't you remember in, in John 3, 14, he talks about the, the serpent and, and what happened in terms of, of, the, of how the people were rescued from dying. Maybe you don't remember the story in Numbers 21. Numbers 21 is the stories recorded where the people of God were rescued out of Egypt and they went out into the wilderness and God was feeding them and providing for them, protecting them, had, had, had run interference from Egypt for them, giving them a cloud to follow, a pillar of fire by night, abundant evidences of his, of his presence, his care, and they grumbled and moaned and complained. Modern day Christians never do that. But they did back then. 
mumbled, groaned, and complained about God. And so it says he sent venomous snakes among them as a judgment, and some people were being bit, and, and the venomous the poison was killing them. Moses went to God, what, what am I going to do? And God said, I want you to make a bronze snake. I want you to put it up in a pole, and I want you to tell the people that everybody who gets stung by a snake, if they look at that bronze snake, they will live. Look and live. They were asked by faith to believe God and look at his solution. And everybody who looked lived. And everybody thought, no, you know what? I'm going to form my own religion. I'm going to do things my own way. They died. And Jesus then merges the story back into, and he says, says, so must it be that when the, the Son of Man must be lifted up and he will bring all men to himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but be saved. No other way. Salvation is available only to those who are enabled to have faith to believe that Jesus is the only way. And finally, it's a personal faith versus dead faith of religious facts. That's, this is the key to our sanctification. And this, beloved, occurs through your works motivated by your faith. Saving faith is not completed and perfected. It requires work and God's work that requires our effort. That's why it says in the text, make every effort, verse 5, to add to your faith. We are never invited to add to our salvation. Our salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, but our sanctification our growth, our effectiveness, our productivity, our our strength in the Lord, our experiencing of Jesus in, in fullness is conditional upon your commitment to work, making every effort to work at the things that we're called to work at in, the, in this text and throughout the scriptures. We're to add to our faith. Starts with saving faith. You have to be there. You know, we look at we look at people say this guy seems to believe the the right things, believes the right facts, but nothing's happening in his life. Doesn't seem to have any Christian behavior. Doesn't seem to have any Christian appetite. No appetite for God. Well, maybe that's not faith. Maybe that's just facts, details. Those who've been gifted faith are commanded to act on that truth that they believe in order that their faith be completed. That's what James 2.22 says. Listen to what, how he writes it. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he or she did. This is where we all come in. Our sanctification is not a passive operation. We are to add to our faith certain things. Real faith works. Works don't produce faith. Make every effort. What this means, make every effort, effort is to pursue with zeal and seriousness. Beloved, God is calling us here, and if we want to experience, and that's what knowledge really means here, to experience the treasures of all that is in Christ, we must actually get zealous and serious about our faith, about our beliefs. And that's what we're all about. That's what I'm challenging. That's what this fall is going to be all about for Calvary. Whether you've been saved for two years or 50 years. 
This is going to be an exciting time this next number of months. As we take one uh, of these virtues after another, one of these, as the text calls, these qualities of Christianity, and we make it the emphasis of our week, that's what we're going to be doing for the next eight weeks, Lord willing. Faith produces works that in turn perfect faith. That's what this is all about. So, um, you know, when we ask the question, what, what is this faith that he's talking about here? There's a content to it, a theological content. It's a gift given to believe in this theological content, to believe in Jesus. And then if you have it, it will show in that you will make every effort to make this faith of yours more robust, to grow in your faith. God's committed to your growth in your faith. A couple of years back, and uh, the, the uh, character will remain uh, nameless to protect the innocent, but a guy brought a, a pretty decent muscle car to uh, one of our Fire Up the Grills, our car shows. And I was looking at it, oogling over it, as I do at every car show, just go from car to car, oogling. And I, I was caught by this one, I was just looking at it, and he says to me, um, this thing's got a lot of meat under the hood. It's like, yeah, I see, I see the numbers. I can't remember whether it was a six liter, it might have even been 7.2 liter. It was a Corvette, that, and uh, new. And um, he says to me, you have no idea. I said, no, I, I can see the numbers. He said, no, you have no idea. And uh, I said, well, okay. So he says, listen, when everybody leaves, jump in that car. I'm coming back, and I'm going to help you to experience the numbers, okay? So we took it out, and um, I, got in, I got in the car. We took it out, and experiencing the numbers of a muscle car is when you tap on the gas pedal and you leave a body imprint in the upholstery of the car that you're sitting in. And that's what this thing could do. That's what God's calling us to here. You, you can look at the numbers and the content theologically of who Jesus is and all of that and what your salvation is all about. You can study your Bible and all of that. But the fullness of what God wants us to have and is, is to experience the rich treasures of Jesus. You don't get that by just studying the numbers. You have to add to your faith action. Action that we're actually called to here. That's what we're gonna do. This is going to be a, a couple of months of leaving our imprint of our bodies in the upholstery of God's word. Father, thank you so much for your word to us. It, it is a true joy to, to not be left wandering around, but to be given such specific detail on how we can be effective and productive in our experience of this Christian life. So Lord, it's my prayer for myself and our people, your people here, that we will jump on this journey with zeal and seriousness like we've never done before, that we might um, that we might, Lord, uh, as I said, whether it be two years saved or 50 years saved, find out what it is to experience the incredible 
vista and treasures that are all found in Christ Jesus. For I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.